are in search of tracks podcast and this is the end of the line my name is pete my name's bob and today we have a special guest uh an old friend of mine matt welcome to the show hello thanks for having me of course so today we're going to be talking about the traveling wilburys record the first Traveling Wilburys record, Volume oh, 1. Oh, Volume 1? Of course. <laughs> of course. As opposed uh, to Volume 3, there's no Volume 2. Yeah, I mean... Do we, did they ever talk about why there's no Volume 2? I don't think so. No. Matt, what do you know? <laughs> I Very little. Yeah. I just noticed that it, it just jumped straight to 3. Mm-hmm. Maybe vol- two, got, 2 got shelved. Yeah, Volume 2 was uh, the Roy Orbison uh, solo traveling Wilburys record i guess maybe which was supposed to happen jeff lynn was i mean we'll get into that but jeff lynn had plans to produce a roy orbison solo record and you know he he kicked the bucket oh all right that's kind of interesting all right well i like um, that yeah um before we get started pete uh where can people find us on social media they can find us on instagram and twitter at TraxPod. and how can they email us they can email us at trackspot at gmail.com. Thank you, everybody who's been sending us great emails. We love it. Appreciate it. Appreciate you listening. This is your first episode. Thank you for joining us. Pete, how's your day been? Been good? It's been okay. Um, a lot going on, but it's the springtime here in New Jersey. Mm. The sun is shining. Mm. I'm having a good time. I uh, tried to go see the Batman. It didn't work out. I didn't get to see it yet. Okay. Um, did not get to see it yet. I think it'll be fine. That's what I'm expecting. Fine. Okay. You fine. know, fine. solid B minus is my, is what I think it's going to be going in, but we'll see. Maybe I'll be impressed. Bob, how's your day? Well, as I just, I just let you both know in pre-production, uh, I kind of just had a like whole thing I had to deal with. It's, it's uh, unexpected, rough, not not a happy moment not like a good feeling so i'm hoping i'm hoping our uh conversation um well i mean i i'm gonna ask you to guys to handle me with care but also <laughs> i i hope oh, this boy. conversation is uplifting i hope i hope we get uh some fun convo on on our friends the traveling wilburys i think we can make that happen all right matt what's up with you do you have a nice day uh yeah today was all right I'm, I'm sort of in the same boat as you guys this week we're only halfway through and it's been just unbelievably up and down but you know mm-hmm. the sun is out and yeah uh, spring is here so i, I yeah, can't complain see, too much all right there's the energy spring yeah you know what it here. is i mean it, like full disclosure we're doing this weeks before you're actually going to hear it and this is right after the time change and i think that things get weird when the time changes I think so. Oh, you know? yeah. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good point. Um, we'll, we'll start us off, guys. Um, why don't we give some context to the... I don't know if it's appropriate to call them a band, but the super group, I think, feels fine, of the Traveling Wilburys. So I'm going to give the brief intro here. Yeah. I think Matt, I know, has done his homework. Some, I think he can do a lot of the heavy lifting here but i'm going to give the i'm going to give the brief intro so the traveling wilburys were a super group um formed in 1988 um all of the members the members being bob dylan george harrison jeff lynn roy orbison and tom petty um Mm -hmm. they all came together in 1988 to record a single for george harrison um 
And apparently that ended up working out so well that they decided to do a full album, which was volume one. And that came out in 1989. And then they ended up doing a second album, volume three, which came out in 1990. And they also won a Grammy. Okay. <laughs> so that the Grammys mattered, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm actually having a Grammy party in two weeks with uh, oh, weird. a few people. I, I, that's, okay. that's, that's the idea. It's weird because nobody watches the Grammys. Yeah. You guys are going to have to like stream it or something. I mean, yeah. It'll be fun. I love it. All right. Um, so how do we, Pete, and maybe Matt, you can answer this too. Um, how do we come to choose doing the traveling Wilburys? I'll answer that. Um, we came to choose it because you, Bob, uh, disclosed that you had never heard this record. Um, Yo, can I tell? Can I tell you something? What's that? Apparently, I'm a giant liar because I absolutely <laughs> own this. I absolutely own this record on cassette. Oh, 100%. amazing! Yeah. Okay. That is the perfect format to listen to this. And I gotta say, I'm slightly envious. I should have heard it on cassette and cassette yeah. only. You yeah. know, here's the thing. I was looking desperately. I might have talked about this. I was looking desperately for the Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Um, is it Southern Accents? I was looking for that record, either CD or cassette. And ended up getting it as a cassette, kind of in this like used bin at, um, man, it was at the Latham Circle Mall. It was in upstate New York. It was some, you know, janky music shop. But they also had Traveling Wilburys. And I was like, oh, yeah, Tom Petty's in this too. It's like 1992, maybe. And I got it. And I viv- vivid memories of listening to this and having, um, say, significant, uh, confusion but we'll, we'll get there <laughs> that tracks um but yeah i mean i i really like i like the the fake history so yeah yeah let's pretend you never heard this yeah i never um, heard because apparently on an episode you mentioned that you had never heard it and uh i've i've wanted to have matt on an episode for a while and he pointed that out to me he was like oh. hey bob's never heard the traveling wilburys record we should do that together and yep. uh it seemed like the perfect per- perfect episode to have. I will Matt say, on for. I probably played Matt. I played it a lot when I got it, and then didn't play it again for a solid. I mean, what? Let's say 1993. Since 1993, I probably have put this on um, zero times uh, until until this activity. So, I mean, huh? f- that being said, you may as well have never heard it. To be fair. That's right. It, it was like a different, it was several lifetimes ago. So Yeah, that makes sense. Matt, had you ever heard this? Front to back, no. I just knew, uh, I knew the, uh, the two singles and those, okay. that was really it. Cool. So it was a fun listen. Yeah, fun free <laughs> listen. <laughs> yeah. There we go. All right, cool. Um, so, what do you guys think? Do we want to jump into the track by track? What do you? What no, do you? Uh, how do you want to do this? I have a few questions and, and thoughts. I have, and, I have an intro question too. Okay, let let let's let you start. Then I always start with these questions. You jump in, Pete. All right, cool. So, um, pretend you know nothing about all of this. Who is your favorite Wilbury? Like going in, oh, like, going, like, going like, in. like, like just, just thinking about each, each member individually, you know, where do you lean? Um, all things considered. Okay. Matt, Matt answer first. 
Okay, Pete, do you mean speaking strictly in terms of the traveling wheelberries? Like Bob Dylan never did anything other than traveling no, wheelberries? No, 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 okay. no, no, actually stri- okay, speaking okay. strictly the outside of, of the that, traveling yeah. wheelberries. Yeah. So like, like, like given their entire catalogs. Who brought you to the traveling wheelberries? Yeah. Oh, man. Well, I think George did. George Harrison. But the thing is, I'm ultimately a bigger Dylan fan. Okay. Because there's more, but merely because there's more Dylan records than I like George Harrison records, but I'm a huge George Harrison fan. So I think the first time I heard of the Traveling Wilburys was because I was really into the Beatles. This was in like second grade or something. And uh, I had a really hard time accepting that the Beatles had gotten older and done other things. But, but somebody tipped me off and told me there was this band that George Harrison had. So yeah, it was him. Okay. Cool. For me, uh, let's pretend my no, but it's still Tom Petty. Um, but when you say it, it's like, do I really like Tom Petty more than George Harrison and like his book book of work? It's hard for me to say that. No, but if I remove, you know, if I'm looking at George Harrison solo career, post Beatles career versus Tom Petty, I do like Tom Petty more. Um, and Dylan's right there, but I'd say it's uh, Tom Petty then George Harrison, then Bob Dylan. Um, and, uh, you know, I've got a lot of love for ELO, but I certainly didn't come to this party for it. And Roy Orbison, <laughs> uh, no, neither. So Okay. What about cool. you, Pete? You're, you're Dylan, right? I'm Dylan all the way. I mean, I, I think that um, George Harrison, I love All Things Must Pass, um, and I love the Beatles, but... All things considered, I have to go Dylan. I'm a okay. big ELO fan. I'm a big Petty fan. Roy Orbison, I've never done the deep dive, but I, I love his voice. He's like a country angel. Um, but I uh, I really have nothing on like his his solo stuff. So Yeah, I have I have some strong thoughts about Mr. Orbison as we go through here. Um, okay. So so let me let me throw out a um, and overall, this is kind of similar question to what you asked, but but we're going to go to this record. On Traveling Wilburys, Volume 1, if this was a sport thing, who's the MVP of this record? I think there's an easy answer, yeah. and then I have a surprising runner-up. Okay. So who's who's the most valuable? Who's Who's the one who's like, yeah, you know what? They brought the best work to this to this um, ensemble. I mean, I think the obvious VMP is George Harrison. Yeah. But, yes. But but Matt, what's your what's your guess for the follow up? Yeah. What do you think? Uh, of the follow-up? follow up. I don't. Know, I mean, Jeff Lynne produced this record, um, but I can't say that I love the production of this record. Mm, mm, so. Mm. I don't know. The person who stuck out to me the most was probably Roy Orbison. I mean, he sounded, yes. he sounded really good on a lot of these songs. He yes. sounds great. He yeah. sounds so good. He sounds so good. So um, I think Harrison is the clear MVP. He's the one who, you know, the opener and closer are, are Harrison. You yeah, know, the bookends. Like, yeah, they're, they're, he, 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 he's the one who sold this thing. I, yeah. Orbison think- just comes in in these, these spots, and I go... I think about it to myself. I'm like, man, his vocals carry with this level of production in a way I wouldn't have expected. But then I started going through his catalog a little bit, just like the hits and going, no, he's got pretty good production. And then I was like, let me go back to his like early career. 
and he still works. But I was so impressed with how well his voice carried, as singular as it is, and plays in this room full of titans. So, uh, yeah, Roy Orbison, my shocking runner-up to Mr. Harrison as MVP of the Traveling Wilburys. Nice. I'm with it. I mean, yeah, some of my favorite moments are Roy Orbison's vocals on this, so so we'll get there, but but I think that's probably right. And as a Dylan fan, some of the moments that I think I, I, I really want him to be the runner up. But uh, I don't know. We'll get there, too. Let's get yeah. there. I, I don't know how, how focused he was on this. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Contextually, should anyone who is who was born after 1990 have any interest in the traveling Wilburys? (laughs) Matt? Well, as a person who was born in 1990. Okay, perfect. I can say that optional. I think the traveling Wilburys (laughs) are optional. Fair enough. How far into these Titans um, discographies do you think you have to be to Wilbury around, if we, for lack of a better term, to do the Wilbury twist? Yes. Oh, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, 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 for example, Bob Dylan. For Bob Dylan, <sighs> Wilbury's is a pretty deep cut in his collection because I think if you're, but, 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 if you're familiar with, five plus Dylan records, you might hear this and go, mm, this isn't what I'm coming to Bob Dylan for. So I don't really care. Tom Petty. Mm, I don't know. Not a highlight there. But then I say this, George Harrison. I might argue that handle with Karen end of the line are, they're not his tops. They're not as good as his top solo tracks, but if I'm making a post Beatles, George Harrison, best of collection, those two songs are on there. Yeah. And here's the thing with that. I feel like, so this, when were these written? Like 88, 89? Yeah. This is a huge, these two songs, these two singles were a huge comeback for him, in my opinion, because after Dark Horse, which came out in 74, he loses me. I've listened to all yeah. those records and they just don't connect. I feel like he changed or something. Yeah. But these songs are kind of back to like Beetle George in this really cool way. Yeah, no, I, I think there's a there's this unique simplicity to them while also being very clearly George Harrison songs. Like I, I think now we'll get there, but they're clearly George Harrison songs and they feel it and anyone who likes the best of his solo work or even any of his work with the Beatles, I think you'd have to enjoy these songs. I'm with that. Yeah. Yeah, And finally, how many people came to this record going, whoa, Jeff Lynn? <laughs> um, so, Going, sorry, was there, was, there, was there a second part? That's it. No, that's it. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think ELO are great. And I think that there are parts of this record that, that you can really clearly hear the ELO in it. Um, I mean, Matt mentioned that he, he helped produce it. Um, was he Matt? Was he strictly the producer, or did George Harrison help with that too? Because um, they're both pretty active producers in that respect. Off the top of my head, I don't know. Yeah, I'm relatively I, certain I think it's this was just 
Jeff Lynn. It was yeah, just think, Jeff Lynn. Yeah, okay. I think you're right. Okay. So, so, I mean, you can hear that in it. It's super clean. Um, a lot of the harmonies are very ELO in this. Um, but I do think that he's definitely the one that, yeah, there are lots of ELO fans. I'm sure that there are lots of ELO fans that came to this for Jeff Lynn, but there's not as much Jeff Lynn here as they may like. Okay. Yeah. If that makes sense. That. No, yeah. I think that's uh, that sounds right to me. And looking at my notes right now, I do have written down that it was a Harrison Lynn collaboration on the production. So okay. 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 Listening to this is upset right now. I'm sorry. Yeah. About what I said earlier. <laughs> yeah. We we actually we have yet to get a ton of hate mail. Um. I I just oh, yeah. keep I keep waiting for it, but it's not coming. So it's, yeah, send us more hate mail. Yeah. Um, but uh, particularly about Matt. No, just yeah. kidding. But but um. But yeah, I mean, I think, um, yeah, given, given George Harrison's, uh, obsession with sound, particularly mm-hmm. at this point in his career and like, you know, the years prior, I, I just had to have guessed that he was involved in the production yeah, of that it makes too. sense. That makes sense. You're right. Um, all right. Well, I think we have a lot more to say about this, but the best way might be pulling this thing apart track by track unless either of you have any other big thoughts in this i have a thesis on sound but i think i'm going to hit that when we hit one of the songs okay sounds good cool let's jump into the track by track first song handle with care So I'll, I'll I'll kick it off. I mean, yeah. I think that there's there's great energy. This is a great song. Um, I know that it's. Do they actually disclose who writes each of these songs? Because I think it's credited to the Wilburys. I think there is crediting. Um, hold on, I was actually just looking at that on the wiki for this. They have they have no, they don't. They have lead vocals. Oh, so it's it's actually part of the lore is that the um yeah we'd arrive they they say this but yeah the publishing credits on the collection book are more revealing about the actual songwriters okay as each of the credited publishers belongs to a single member so harrison's publishing company is credited for handle with care heading for the light and end of the line okay um and then that- credited for dirty world dirty world yep and um he's re- the, Tweeter the, long- the monkey man yes yeah <laughs> congratulations Yep. And then Petty is credited with Last Night and Margarita. Mm. Okay. And Lynn is credited with Rattled and Not Alone Anymore. Okay. Cool. I I, I kind of liked I like the idea of guessing it, but yeah, we got it all. Oh, I'm so sorry. like yeah. no, it's okay. But like but but handle with care. So I mean this to me, like it feels I just knew that it was a Harrison song. 
Yeah. But but it but it really has that kind of Tom Petty sway. Um, like, like Petty songs have this way of swaying and like this has that feel. So if it wasn't a Harrison song, I would have guessed that it was a Petty song. Um, it just feels like a good time to me. Like it feels like everyone's in the studio having a great time together. Um, I think it gets really hokey very quickly with everybody just showcasing their vocals and like, you know, taking their separate parts to do so. Mm. But I think that that's kind of a larger question to you guys that we'll get into maybe at the end of just like, is there a correct way to do a super group? Um, but what do you guys think of this song? Matt, go ahead. Um, I think it's an undeniable hit. Yes. Um, you know, production's a little corny, but uh, yeah, it kind of makes sense for the time that it came out and, and, Sort of what I was saying earlier, it's easily the best song George Harrison had written in 15 years. Yeah. And at the same time, it's, it's, it's weird. Like this song was initially supposed to be a B-side for a single that was from a recent solo album of his, but the record company said it, it's too good. Like this right. has to be an A-side. Hmm. And then the guys like collaborating so much, they, they wanted to make a, a, a full-length record. Whereas I feel like this it probably would have been better at, handle with care had just been like a one-off yeah it's really interesting about it um i think it's a hit it's like a track you know it's to me the question is um is this the a side or the b side with end of the line um i think they you know matt you said it well they're bookends they're harrison bookends to this whole record um pete your point was dead on when you start getting these vocals, I think Orbison's vocals come in and it's like, it's like he just slid up next to <laughs> us in the bar and just started crooning. You're like, whoa, Roy right, Orbison's like, here. At a stoplight. <laughs> yeah, like, down. <laughs> yeah, like you're at the stoplight and it just cruises up right there. Yeah. He pulls up in a Cadillac. But it's then great. all of a sudden, like, like a bird. Tom yeah. Petty on the, and, and I'm, I'm a Petty fan. Pull up in the Sri Lanka and all, you know, um, he it's like he comes up with a bike horn like perk, perk, with his <laughs> with his backup vocals that are like tuned too high it's you know what garbage. i mean garbage it sounds so bad on <laughs> so bad and it's like dude i love your vocals but, what, but i was like oh this is the opener this is where they're trying to all get the like hey i'm here and i'm here too and uh, uh, yeah and so that's much. the only that's kind of this like this irksome part um <laughs> And it really, there's that contrast, right? Orbison, it's just like whoop, and Tom Petty's mm, doesn't doesn't come in as smoothly. Um, I think it's a really good song, and it um, is. yeah, the production on this record is so of the time, in that yeah. it feels like the biggest room you pop. Like, did they record this at the Coliseum? It's not echoing or anything, but it's like clean to a fault. Uh, in mm. my opinion, and I don't even want to say that in a bad way. It's pop music, you know, so it's it's supposed it's not supposed to have rough around the edges, but yeah, but 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 see, I I think that that's 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 my problem with the the era of George Harrison that Matt's talking about, yeah. and that's my problem also with ELO. Ultimately, is like it's clean to a fault. 
Yep. So I think yep. that the the fact that the two of them produced it tracks. Mm-hmm. So so overall, like this is an incredible song. Um, really easily, you could argue. Maybe you don't need the rest of this, but if you were to single this out, like Matt, imagine that it was kept in that context of like, no, this is just going to be this Harrison's B side. And we're going to have these guys guest on it, but that's it. There might, yeah. there might be this weird what if, and, and I like that there's not the what if. We have the, here, here it is, here's the project. Yeah. Like, do you, do you think it's better that it exists in that way, or would it have been more interesting to you if this was like single, standalone, on an island type thing? I just think, yeah, the Handle With Care, end of the line single would have been perfect. It would have been like... And even better if it was for some like charity thing, you know what I mean? I feel like that would be very eighties. Oh, you know? for sure. <laughs> yeah, like all, the, all the money goes to George Harrison's bank account or something. I, I mean, here's the thing. I'll say this very clearly: if if handled with care was the B side of a record, it would be one of those lost, like whoa, whoa, whoa. This is awesome. This is such yes. a track. But if it was as as we kind of have theorized, handled with care A side, end of the line B side. That would have left such a thirst for what could have been. <laughs> yeah. And what ultimately never was, because this doesn't do what those songs do, as we'll get into. And we'll have to talk about it in the line more. But there's such a cohesion to those two songs that I, I and they're both marvelous pop songs. I, I, I was actually looking this up because I always think it's an interesting thought is that. Um, George Harrison had the last number one hit song by a member of the Beatles, um, which is, what is it? It came out the year before this, which is uh, Got My Mind Set On You. Mm -hmm. It's a cover. Right. So he, right. So he's, that's the last Beatle to have a track go number one. Yo, Handle With Care got to number two. And I think we would have had to keep count that. Um, had it made it to number one as like, yo, this is this is a great song. So um, overall, awesome song. We have some qualms with a couple little details, but you know, great track. Pete, I'm super fascinated by what you think <laughs> of the song Dirty World. <laughs> it's a very interesting choice uh, for a second song. Um, it is like definitely some of the strangest lyrical content on the record. Um, if you need your oil changed, I'll do it for you free. <laughs> like Dylan has never sounded so jokey as far as I'm aware. Um, and I know Dylan like of this era and this is like a much more playful kind of just free flowing kind of Dylan. Um, it's uh, a terrible song. It's like kind of fun, but like not really. I don't Man, know. Like I, I don't know what to make of this song. It's just it's such an anomaly to me. All right, Matt, go. It's in like it's like strangely sexual for a Dylan song too. Yeah, like, incredibly, it's, it's weird. It's, it's like so strange. <laughs> Matt, yeah, go in a I little think, bit. Yeah, my initial reaction was well, I was I was kind of surprised that Dylan was doing cocaine this late into the eighties. <laughs> um, oh yeah! Oh yeah! But it's, yeah, yeah, just sexual innuendos yeah, thought, all over the I place. I thought he found God at this point. Oh, I think he was past that. That was like, that was like 80, 81. Yeah. Slow, okay. slow train or whatever. Sure. I don't really fuck with those records. But um, 
Yeah, this and it's also it's sort of just lazy writing for him. I mean, knowing what he's capable of, just like using a car as a metaphor as a woman is kind of just like really old by 1988. Like it's just kind of been done a million times. Yes. The the other thing I noticed too, is that the chorus is kind of similar to, uh, stuck inside a mobile from uh, blonde on blonde. Like Mm. he does this Mm. thing. I'm not going to sing it for you, but I just, I don't know. It's just, it's him falling back on what he knows how to do. And I honestly feel like this was written in 15 minutes. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes. So I have a question for both of you because I'm in a different place. I don't think the song's particularly good. However, I really like how his voice sounds. I think lyrically it's lazy. I think the song itself is kind of just there. Um, Mm. And especially coming off Handle With Care, which I found to be exceptional, uh, this song is kind of... It's not jarring, but it's clearly you go from, oh, so that's the song that everybody likes, and this is a song nobody cares about. I really like the production on his voice and in a weird way, Pete, you'll, you'll appreciate this, Matt. We did an episode about the modern ish Bob Dylan Christmas record. Yeah. I listened to that. It was great. Right. And, and I think the record is he, he has this weird irreverence, lightness and joy in him that I do feel on this in that it feels like Dylan is treating this as such a toss off that he's just going for it and Harrison and Lynn just are like, yeah, we'll make him sound as clean as we can. And I, I don't I don't hate it. I actually was like, this is sort of this funny Bob Dylan vocal vehicle. Lyrically, when you actually listen to the words he says instead of just mouth sounds, um, yeah, like that'll take <laughs> you right out. Well, and you but go, that, oh, what are you doing? And that's the thing. I mean, Dylan, although his output has not been super consistent over the years he's had like close to 50 albums and the one thing that has been fairly consistent is the lyric the the quality of the lyrics yeah um has been really really consistent i mean the the record that he put out like two two three years ago uh is great particularly for the lyrical content so like um it's it's strange to hear such a toss-off as a dylan fan because it really proves to me that he was the weakest Wilbury and that he was just kind of very obviously the least interested in the whole thing. Well, the least invested, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and that positions him in a weird place because I have to imagine. Now, Roy Orbison may be different, but for Lynn, Petty, and even George Harrison, I have to assume those guys are like, Bob Dylan, this is, this is pretty cool. All right, you know, uh, let's 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 see what we can do with this dude, you know. And um, I don't know. Do you guys want me to blow your mind real quick? Because I just was looking at these lyrics and I scrolled down on Google and saw an article about this song specifically um, on uh, ultimateclassicrock.com, a website I don't find myself on very often. Yeah, maybe right. I need to. I know. <laughs> um, while all five artists contributed songwriting talent across the an- album, the most animated and mischievous track on 1988's Volume 1, Dirty World, came from the band's seemingly least humorous member, Bob Dylan, who announced one afternoon... <clears throat> 
Let's do one like Prince. Wow. All right. Bob's All right. just very funny, George Harrison said in a 1990 interview, two years after the release of the first album. Uh, I mean, a lot of people take him seriously. And if you know Dylan and his songs, he's such a joker, really. And he just said, sat down and we said, okay, what are we going to do? And Bob said, let's do one like Prince. And he just started banging away. Love your sexy body. Ooh, baby. And it just turned, you know, into like into that <laughs> tune. Sounds nothing like him. But that track, I mean, I love that track. It's just so funny, really. Yeah. Bless I gotta up. say, wow. thinking back into Dylan's catalog, Basement Tapes, there's some really good comedy writing on that record. Mm. You, gotta, you gotta give it some time, but I feel like a couple summers ago it just clicked, and yeah. I, I sort of felt that I understood what he was going for, and it's, the lyrics are really funny. Sure, yeah. So no, we've, it's, un- it's, we've it's untangled there, this. Um, George, Roy, Tom, and Jeff were all like, yeah, let's let's see what we can do here. And Bob's like, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna write a Prince song, <laughs> and uh, that I like that he was a Prince it. fan. Absolutely, fantastic. I mean, that's um, great. All right, anything else on Dirty World? Because I feel like we kind of, we kind of, we skewered it enough. Yeah, yeah. This this is a tough one. Rattled. Bob, Matt, you want to go in first? Matt, kick us off. You're the guest. Um. Well, I mean, it's it's fairly obvious that the majority of these songs were completely written on the spot. So I feel like for somebody as talented as Jeff Lynne, this was this was a very uh, easy song to write. Yeah. Um, I know that Jim Keltner, the dude who one of the the main drummer on the record, there was a separate percussionist, but Jim Keltner drummed on the inside of a fridge to get this drum sound. So <laughs> I, I thought I thought that was cool. That was interesting. I, I saw that on the Wilburys documentary on uh, YouTube. Yeah. Um, and it's just, yeah, the production just bums me out. And the, <laughs> the Roy Orbison growl is pretty cringy. And it's worse mm. because it happens twice. Yeah. So I yeah. had a question on this one. Is this Jeff Lynn doing a like Roy Orbison 1959 song? Yes. Yeah, for sure. That's how I felt about it. Um, didn't stick to me. It has that classic fifties rock swing to it. Uh, just doesn't doesn't do anything. And this is this is where my like odd PTSD style uh, cassette flashbacks happen. Where I got to the song and I, I was actively feeling confused. I was like, oh, I remember this feeling. Okay, <laughs> um, and uh, and it felt very uneven. So yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I feel the same as you guys. I, I really don't have much time for this song. It's it's uh, It has that 50s vibe. And like, I mean, Bob, you and I have talked about once you get to a certain point of kind of rock and roll history, I just kind of check out, you know, for yeah. better or for worse. It just, it is what it is. Um, my kind of musical interest really starts in the 60s. And uh, this one to me just, it, it doesn't track. Yeah, I'm actually a really big fan of what I refer to as pre-Beatle rock and roll, which is just most 50s stuff. But yeah. I feel like this is just a lame imitation of that. Sure. Okay. Last night.
Is this crossing into parrothead territory here. Yes! Um, I want to put on your Tommy Bahama shirts, folks. Yes. This just got tropical. Yeah, uh, my little <laughs> note for this was Tom Petty doing a very island version of a simple rock song. <laughs> the horns took me out as a kid. Oh, man. Uh, I'm sort of fine with them now, but I, the, I, I don't have anything for the song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, you know what? Roy sounds pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, he Roy does. sounds he pretty does. good. Complete irreverence. Like, it just feels like, hey, yeah, good time, you know? But this is the part of the record where I'm asking myself, like, what are any of these songs about? Yeah. Like, these these lyrics don't match. Dude, Roy asks a girl at the bar to marry him, but then Petty interjects <laughs> later and said that she went too far, which to me sounds like gaslighting. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's oh, about that's right. That's amazing. It, true gibberish songs, right? Yes, like true gibberish songs across the board here. And and yeah, I was trying to read along to the lyrics at one point and was like, wait, why am I even trying this? Like, it's yeah, no, no. Yeah, this is like drink yourself to death in a Hawaiian shirt alone. Was, yes, yeah, yeah. Like, there's a maybe there's a little bit of darkness to the lines. I was feeling no pain, feeling good in my brain. I looked in her eyes. They were full of surprise. I'm like, is that good? Like, what? 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 You're you're super drunk. <laughs> you're looking like, in her eyes, and she's surprised. Did you piss yourself? <laughs> What's going on? It's like G G rated Andrew Dice Clay poetry. <laughs> oh yeah, you're right. Yes. Oh man. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, man. Now I can't unhear that. Oh no. no. I mean, <laughs> I think that's great. I mean, but but. Yo, to put this in context, right? So, like, this was a fairly dark period for a lot of these guys, if not most of these guys, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, like, like Petty, Petty put out Full Moon Fever, I think, the same year. Mm. So he, so he kind of got a resurgence at that. But yeah, but all of these guys like were not at the high points of their career, and I think you can tell that they're all having such a great time in the studio together. Which is cool, but like, does that translate to good music in any way? Like, not really, ultimately, right? Not on so, this song. Not on this song, certainly. But this is kind of the best example of them just having such a great time that, like, it should have just been them. Like, why are we all invited to this party? I'm not quite sure. Yeah, maybe, like, don't release this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is a private tape. So I want to bring up a thing because um, I talked about the horns. Jim Horn, uh, appropriately, uh, played saxophone on this record. Um, he played on solo albums by three members of the Beatles. Long association with George Harrison. Makes sense. Toured with John Denver. Okay, okay. Um, played flute on the original studio recording of Going Up the Country by Canned Heat. Great flute take. Love right. that song. Um <laughs> Played flute and saxophone on Pet Sounds. Okay. And played the flute on the Rolling Stones album Goat's Head Soup. All right. What? Uh, in 2007, he was inducted in the Musicians Hall of Fame as a member of the Wrecking Crew. Who is uh, this Wrecking human? Crew guy. All yeah. Right. Why? I don't know. Yeah. Still Set alive. We it. might need to get him on. We can get a four-man rotation because yeah. – his career is pretty wild. When I'm looking, oh, he played on uh, "Ride Like the Wind" by Christopher Cross. This is insane. Barbara Streisand. He's on the Badfinger record. This is Stevie Wonder. He plays the baritone on "You've Lost That Love and Feeling" with the Righteous Brothers. 
Great okay. song. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, he's on uh, the Toto hits Rosanna and Africa. This dude's prolific. Done work with Molly Hatchet and Michael Jackson. Tracks. Yo, this guy. Yeah. Jim Horn. Jim yeah. Horn. Good for you. I fuck with Jim Horn. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's a Wilbury, though he doesn't have the name. Um, what do they call him? Like John Saxophone or something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. James Toots. You got it. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, not, Toots Wilbury. <laughs> not alone anymore. Next song. <laughs> this one, I, I said Orbison vocals. Sounds so good. I love this era for him. Yeah. He gets kind of operatic on this one. Yeah. I like that kind of um, the weird kind of spacey cascading twirl uh, synthy kind of sound in the background. Um, oh, that's funny that you say that because that's the one thing that like ooh. completely takes me out of takes this. you out. Yeah, where I just I think it's so it's so sideshow silly like it's so ridiculous. It's so cool. No. Like like and and I actually I. This has this song has one of the few moments that I genuinely love on this record. Like I think Roy Orbison's, I think the hook on this is yes. great. Great. Um, I think it's great, and and the fact that they just have to add that synthy weirdness to this is like, it's just them having like way too much fun in the studio. So therein lies my thesis to the Traveling Wilburys. Yeah, yeah. One, the real thing is George Harrison just being like, I, I wrote these cool songs. Do you guys want to be on them? Sure. Okay, cool. The rest of it is, can we make simple, I liked what you said, pre-Beatles rock style songs work in a big room with the right flourishes and accoutrement? And is their thesis right? Uh, no. I was. I said first, answers may vary, but I think I can strongly vote no. <laughs> largely but there's moments and there's moments that hint because it's like damn you guys are really a room full of geniuses and as much as you're you're fighting it you still come through (laughs) so yeah yeah. um, i i think this song really got it to me probably on the second or third listen where i'm like this song is right there but it's so weird too and it's not all working together i like the effect but overall (laughs) the song doesn't doesn't connect it might be the best uh, there's one other song i like in the middle but uh largely um it's right there is keep it in between the the bookends of this record yeah yeah this one was kind of growing on me in my third listen i mean it could be stockholm syndrome but um (laughs) it also reminded me a lot of the 1986 elo hit calling america it was very, very similar to that. So I kind of feel like Jeff Lynne was doing what Dylan did a lot on this record, which was, you know, just kind of falling back on, on his own material, ripping himself off sure. for the sake of time. Yeah. Well, I, I always think about that when we talk about these exercises where – so sometimes artists get stuck in that place between where they're going and where they were, and that ends up being this – intermediary where they're trying new things but then they pull back and just do the safe comfortable part because they're like well I, I you know I'm trying to do a new sound 
but with that new sound comes new structures, but I'm not comfortable in those structures yet. So I'm going to use these old structures, but I'm going to play around with these sounds. Sometimes that works. I think you're right though, dead on that we get, we catch that with all these guys on almost all these songs. I can't explain last night away. I don't think Patty ever did his, his, uh, his parrot head record, but, <laughs> but otherwise I think we get a lot of that. Like where are these guys at musically in the moment? And how are they making that gel? Are they trying to do something else? And they, you, you see them touch on it, but never go all the way. And so you end up with a lot of the tropes of where they are bleeding into this record. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the other thing, I meant to mention this at the, the top of our conversation, but they were on a really tight deadline making this because Dylan had a tour booked. Mm, so yep. I think tracking with the five of them present was no more than 10 days. And then Harrison and uh, Lynn flew back to England and you know produced the fuck out of this record with yeah. what sounds like jackhammers. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's too pristine. Yeah. So um, I think that deadline kind of messed things up. This might have been a better record. That's an interesting take because I agree strongly. I think at the same time, right? Like there's a level where they have to, what it's going to be is what it's going to be. I wonder what happens if they had more time to air it out. I think we get a more cohesive, cogent product, cogent recording, something that sounds fun and captures it. But I also think it would have still suffered from the Lynn Harrison uh, production uh, crunch where they, they're going to overproduce the hell out of this thing no matter what because it's 1988 and that's what they're doing, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's that awkward time where it's like things were crossing from analog into digital. Yeah. I feel like oh, a lot it. of the 60s and 70s rockers were so excited by new technology that they just had no idea how to use. Yeah, I... Yes, that is something we should really talk about because we, we touch on it with the CD era and how when CDs came along, it really screwed things up because people were like, wait a second, I could write a 65-minute record and it'll all fit. It, yeah, you, you can do that. Yeah, and, it, and all of a sudden, it screwed everybody up and they're writing these monster records that are 20 totally minutes Totally bloated. bloated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but the this, the digital analog switch over where all of a sudden there's this new tech and you know especially for creative people they're they're intrigued by the new thing and you know they're 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 quite often the early adapters so they're trying stuff and that's you end up with a lot of weird new Neil Young records you know so. oh my god yeah <laughs> just a few yeah I mean but, <laughs> but I mean since since we're having the conversation I mean is there a s scenario in which Everyone, I mean, because obviously everyone in this group is a power player, right? Yeah. Is there a scenario in which they're bringing their best songs to the table? Because the reality is, again, like it was kind of a low point in most people's, most of these guys' careers. So, like, is there a situation in which they're not saving those songs for their next solo record rather than giving it to the Wilburys. Because to me, like it just seems like this was such a purely kind of fun novel kind of thing to do that. It wasn't so much about the quality of the songs as much as it was about the energy and kind of the fun of doing the thing. Yeah. 
And that's that's ultimately like why this whole thing falls flat. Not to like skip to the end here for me, but like, yeah. What do you guys think? I mean, is there was anybody bringing their total A game to this? Do you think? Um, my my short and long answer is no. Nobody was t- bringing their total A game. And what are, what are the circumstances that could have brought an A game? Or a situation? It, would there have been a situation where all five Wilburys bring their A game? No. No. The problem is the only scenario I could see is as as Matt kind of theorized the the epic handle with care backed with end of the line single. Yeah. Yeah. Which in reality, what that would do is create a hierarchy where it's like, okay, look, this is going to be mostly a Harrison at the front project, but this is doing such numbers. This is so gangbusters that we have to create. We, we now have to follow with a support album because this was so successful. Yeah. And it would probably take on a lot less energy of this kind of i mean i hear this record now in my advanced i heard this record as a you know 11 year old and looking for tom petty songs and was confused and not particularly excited as a 40 year old i hear this and go yeah yeah you know it's fine i uh, but but what i positively take away is this irreverence and i think you hear a little bit of that from all these guys they seem there does seem to be an element where these guys are having fun and being lighthearted and even, you know, when one of the songs we're coming up to, I think it really shows through that you might lose that if any one of them becomes the alpha in the room, you know? And I think, I think that's maybe where you get into some problems sometimes. It's, it's like, um, <laughs> there's certain bands I've heard, and I'm sure both of you can think of examples of this, where it's like, you hear the song and go, Huh? So there really wasn't a, a, a like a quality control department in that room, huh? Like <laughs> nobody said, "Hey, that part doesn't fit in this song," as opposed to the like, "Hey, I brought a part." Okay, cool. How about this next? Yeah, and then let's do this. Oh yeah, definitely. And it's like, oh no, that's five parts. That's not a song, but you thought it was a song. Um, we don't get that's- that here because these guys are brilliant, but there's a little of that energy on the record overall. Yeah. No, I feel that. Yeah. Next song. Congratulations. This one. Matt, go in. All right. I'm going in. Um, This is awful. This sounds. (laughs) Backing vocals sound like fucking Craigslist hires. This must have been like. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. First take. The other thing, too, that kills me about this song, other than it just being terrible, is is the the teenage boy level bitterness in the lyrics. Mm. Congratulations (laughs) for breaking my heart. Congratulations for ruining my fucking life. Yeah. Like this yeah. song this song was written by a 46-year-old <laughs> adult man. Like why would you ever say anything like that aloud? Like I understand the yeah. sentiment, but there's just certain things you keep to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, so, you're right. This is yeah, this is this needed an editor. Yes. Badly. Badly. Yeah, no. Uh yeah. <laughs> the rhyme scheme's rough too. Yeah. Um the only note I can make is that I never put this together, and it's probably on me to not have. Bob Dylan sounds halfway to Elvis Costello on this song, vocally. 
Interesting. I had never put that together. I've never thought of those two together. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. It's, uh, I thought he sounded like a lawnmower. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe I don't think that highly of Mr. Costello. Um, he's, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a great song. Yeah, I, I said it feels incredibly uninspired, and it's the one song on this whole album that I feel like nobody's happy to be there. You know, like, like on the, on the chorus, like it, it sounds like, like on those pieces on all these songs where everybody's doing the, the, you know, like the choruses together, typically it sounds like they're all having a really good time, Mm -hmm. but on this song, it doesn't even sound like they're having a good time. And, and, uh, that's a genuinely a bummer. I think they're hungover. (laughs) I mean, probably. Yeah. They're like, so, how many songs? We got to get over to 35 minutes. All right, fine. Yeah, Throw that one yeah, and I thought it was so funny, too, because, like, I mean, Matt, I know you watched that little YouTube documentary, too. Like, mm. Harrison seemed particularly impressed with this song. Oh, no. And, and to me, it showed that, like, they were just so in the moment. Like, they were so glad that they were all in the same room and they were recording and they were just putting things together very quickly and you know, there's all this footage of them, like actually in the vocal booth, like doing all this stuff together. And it, it mm-hmm. really does seem like they were having such a great time together that they completely lost perspective of like, is this actually good? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Runaway train. On that one. Yeah. Right. Heading for the light. like the most ELO that this record gets. Um, it, it has more of an ELO feel, I think, than any of the other songs. Um, I do like the hook on this. Mm-hmm. Um, the sax solo is completely unnecessary. Um, it's, yes, it's it is. kind of fun, but like it's just that fun where it's like I'm worn out on fun, guys. Like keep it to your <laughs> keep it to yourselves. Like I want an actual track, and this is like. It's it's not a track. It's a track in like in the way that like Weird Al has tracks. So yeah, yeah. 
I, it's uh, kind of like Weird Al. <laughs> I mean, it basically I think, is. I think the part, there's a, a part of the song directly following the saxophone solo uh, that I enjoyed. I think is really good. But it was like a moment of brilliance amongst, like, hidden in this song that overall just went on for too long. You know, it's it was 337, but it felt like felt like five and a half minutes yeah (laughs) you know i'm like but that part i was like okay i'm pulling in that and that's that's sort of where i found myself on on that was probably yeah that not alone anymore might have been the highlights in the middle of this record so um matt what'd you think um that's i mean it's not a bad song i feel like this is i don't know who the writing credit goes to, but I imagine this is like a, a Harrison composition primarily. Mm-hmm. I mean, that guitar tone sounds like, you know, somebody's playing that thing with a pair of rubber gloves on. And <laughs> I'm not crazy about the horns. And as much as I do love Jeff Lynn's singing voice, I feel like the song would be better with, with just George singing. Mm. Sure. Mm. You know, multi-tracked and all that. Yeah. I'm nervous to get to this one. Margarita. My, my only comment, I don't even know what to make of this. That was it. <laughs> song, That's all I have. This song is insane. This, <laughs> this is like the craziest fucking thing on the record. People That's listen, all I had. I yeah. listened to the song like upwards of 12 times. Like I was like, I don't, how, what do I got on this? You know? People listening to this podcast, if you don't want to hear the record, I understand, but please do yourself a favor and skip to track eight. Margarita. It's not what you think it is. There's yeah. movements in it. Yeah, there's certainly movements. Yeah. This is like, this is like Jimmy Buffett meets like the Who Sell Out. Like, this yeah. is like, oh. And the synth intro is like vaporwave. It's like. <laughs> The synth intro to me sounds like like a job recruitment video. It's like, so you've just been hired at Semitech. Yeah. Oh, and then wow. all of a sudden it takes a really dark turn and like somebody's in Pittsburgh in the rain. I was yes. just oh, so confused. Uh, <laughs> the Pittsburgh in the rain, like all, all of a sudden between this song and the next, the lyrical content is like, look, I I literally am a geographic type dude. Like I'll reference things. I, you know, I'm I'm in for the what's up Springfield level of commentary. But on these two tracks, I'm like, all right, guys, enough. We're good. We're good. No more no more reference. I don't need to hear another town name. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. This song. Yeah. Is, this song is insane. <laughs> town names. I feel like that's just an easy fallback for for american song right? just, well, just like, mention a town that kind of sucks yeah mention a town it's it's like in the recipe like oh wait do you got i need it i need something rhymes with you know whatever what about that always how about rawway oh yeah there we go oh nice. there Ugh. we go you know so uh, it's not great yeah no this pete you got anything else on this this one is <laughs> No, I don't think so. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I literally, my notes are, what is this? And then, and then pure self-indulgence. And, um, apparently when George Harrison would do, uh, the higher notes, he would refer to them as his naughty chords, which I thought was very cute. Um, but there's a lot of Harrison naughty chords in this and, uh, Mm. they don't really go anywhere. So, yeah. Let's keep it moving. Tweeter and the monkey. Slide guitar is cool. Yeah. Yeah. 
Tweeter and the Monkey Man. I mean, I, I feel like this is the only song on the record that feels like it could have potentially been a real Bob Dylan song um, until you get to the chorus and then it just, they throw the whole thing away. So, um, yeah, I, like, uh, have you guys seen the movie Walk Hard? Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. My wife walked into the room and was like, was this, this song could have been on the movie Walk Hard. Yeah, she's right. Yeah, yeah and and yes. and she is like a Hort Harrison super fan and a Petty super fan, so it's yeah, it's it's totally uninspired. Um, cred for like the Jersey references, I guess, but I so, don't know. So, did either of you guys see anything about this? Which it was um, supposedly this was a uh, either depending on who you say, it was either poking at or playfully uh, tributing. Mr. Springsteen. Um, and I don't know where I fall because I think it's so silly. It feels more like Arlo Guthrie than Bruce Springsteen to me. Like, I it's mean, just this ramble, you know? See, yeah, it's see, like, no, go sorry, Pete, go no, ahead. No, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it seems like Arlo Guthrie trying to rip off Dylan's hurricane. Yes. <laughs> but it, no, but hey, plot twist, it's Bob Dylan writing this nonsense gibberish. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and and to me, that just feels like a bad version of Bob Dylan. Like, Tweeter and the Monkey Man just sounds like a really lazy Bob Dylan. Yes. So, so yeah, I mean, I'm with, I'm with all of that. Yeah, he's parodying himself at this point. So the mm-hmm. intro has this kind of like Walker, Texas Ranger vibe. Yeah. <laughs> which I guess wasn't a show yet, but it's still lame. It maybe, that, maybe that laid the foundation. <laughs> yeah, probably. They heard the Chuck- song, they're like, yeah. oh, I have this, this idea for, <laughs> for a really bad cowboy thing, and there's going to be a medicine woman, but we'll get to that later. Don't yeah. worry about it. Chuck Norris is a huge traveling day. <laughs> Nothing would surprise me less. All right. Uh, I think we've reached uh, the end of the line. Thank God. Thank God. Somewhere down the road when somebody plays Did they put us through? This is like so. There's, there's. Oh, this is the ninth. There's nine levels of hell, right? You have yeah. the opener and you have the closer, and they, they put us on Dante's Inferno, and here we are. And like, oh, hey, you made it here. Here we go. Here's a, a penny for your troubles. Um, hit, it hit. It's a track. Oh, yeah, it's a fucking track, dude. I love this song. I. Okay, here we go. Is it better than Handle with Care? I think it is. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's the A side, I think. I yeah. think it's more even. I think you lose those like <clears throat> weird phenomenon that really troubles me with production. Um, 
on recordings after from a certain time period, which is essentially like 85 to 2015, maybe. Uh, it's a long, <laughs> it's a long period where production <laughs> seems like whoever's mixing, mastering it starts with one idea in their head at the beginning. And by the end, they've leveled it out and don't go back. Don't double back and like line it up again mm. because it just feels like some of the things that they did wrong on handle with care. They even out. you know, Tom Petty isn't jumping. isn't clown horning in his vocals on <laughs> end of the line. You know what I mean? Like everything works on this song so well. Yeah. So, yeah. Even his his lyrics, which he probably wrote on the spot, that those are nice. Yeah, I don't know. he's like singing about an ex or something. It's, I, I feel like uh, when I think about it, it's just relatable shit. It's it's really nice to hear. Yeah. So like here is the lightness and joy in irreverence, while also acknowledging that like weird dark place that some of these folks are going through, in the right right tone. Right, they finally strike the tone, and. Uh, yeah, I I think they all kind of have their time to shine, but it doesn't feel like jostling for the microphone at the same time. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Guys, um, we have reached the end of the line on Traveling Wilburys Volume 1. There's no Volume 2. Uh, we might not revisit Volume 3, but let's go through and kind of talk about our feelings on this. Matt, We you probably haven't heard this. We have a new rating system. Um, where we assign numbers, so you can please feel free to join in, and we'll explain it as we do. Does that make sense, Pete? Yeah. Okay. So um, there's a point value, so we'll do it and give our ratings first, and then you can do it. Holistic quality. This is the overall quality of the music, the songs, kind of at a 10,000-foot view down, and saying, how good is this? And we give that out of 20. Um, Pete, it's really tough. Because the next one we do, we'll get there. But I gave this a 12 out of 20. Okay. Because a large chunk of this record is not repeat listen worthy. But the players are so good. They're clearly competent. Yeah. And they're songs that I love. So I can't I can't go lower than that. But I gave it a 12. Okay. I split the difference and gave it a 10. Okay, 10 out of 20, yep. Because I clearly all of the players here are incredibly competent, but the quality of the songs here does not meet that sort of ability. Facts. And you say that there are songs on this record that you love. I don't think I'd even go that far. So, Ooh, I'm just I'm just okay. going to split the difference and say 10. Okay. Matt, so overall, 10,000-foot view, <clears throat> quality of this record, out of 20 points. I am going to give it an 11 out of 20 um, because I genuinely, unironically like End of the Line, and there's nothing I would change about it. Handle with Care, some of the production bugs me, but yep. I think those two songs are strong enough for me to not completely trash this thing. There we go. So cool. the next thing we talk about is the highs. So the highs are how good are are the good how how great are the very best parts of this record so for me end of the line handle with care i give it eight out of ten just for those tracks the the we're only judging them by their best day which i think is those two pete where do you go on this i gave it a six okay matt eight out of ten 
this is the best. These two, these were two Great. of the best songs George had written in 15 years. That's a good point. Yep. Now we're going to go lows. So, uh, Matt, keep track of what your numbers are so we can add them up at the end. Oh, yeah. Hold on. Let me grab it. So you did 11 and 8. So 11 and 8. All right. right. I, can I got that. you. I'm doing it here. Oh, too. okay. Thank you, Pete. Awesome. Lows. So lows, we flip around. That means the bottom. How bad was the bad? And this one, instead of giving it a high score, you go low. So for me, it's a 3 out of 10. The lows of this record are confusing, bewildering, and almost enough to push you off listening to this record ever again. So it's a three. I went lower. I gave it a one. I think wow. I think this gets pretty low, dude. It does. Like, You're like, right. Like oh. pr- particularly given given the ability of the players, yeah. and given how much I love, like more or less everyone on this album. Yeah, it's it's it gets so the lows hokey. are dark. You're right. You're like, right. Like if 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 Dylan put some of these songs on his solo records. Like he he never stooped to that low, frankly. <laughs> you're so, not wrong. Okay, so, so you're so going I one. Don't, I, don't, I don't know. The lows yeah, are as that, low as it gets. That's where I'm going. It's as okay. low as it gets. This truly might be his worst material, which is Damn. kind of remarkable. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you got to hit rock bottom somewhere. And for him, it was the traveling mulberries. <laughs> the other thing, too, is I feel like he, in this day and age, probably has no recollection of making this record. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I don't think he ever spoke about this. Like he was kind of the one outlier that really never talked about the traveling Wilburys in, in yeah, an interview and anything cared. They were like into it. And he's like, yeah, yeah, sure. We're having fun. Right. And then he's like, wait a second. Those songs are coming out. What? The one thing, yeah. the one thing I found was like, you know, apparently they're all sitting in a room and everybody's saying, you know, like Dylan, we're so happy to have you here. Like we really respect all your stuff and blah, blah, blah. We're big fans. And he was like, you know, I feel the same way about you guys. And they were all really touched by it. But it's like, <laughs> who, okay. Like Dylan, like is such a weirdo who knows how we felt about any, any of this. Right. Yeah. Th- yeah. There's a, there's a question. There's a big question mark there. Yeah. Uh, um, the, the sanctity of the, the author voice on that. Oh, all that material meant a lot is, is suspect. We'll see. Yeah. Um, okay. So Matt Lowe's, um, out of 10. So you go as low as it. I oh, gave it a yeah. three pretty low. Pete gave it a one really low. Yeah. yeah go with Pete on this one. It's, it's one out of 10. There's, okay. there's just some unforgivable material <clears throat> on this record. So this is a hard one because the next one we, we go through is competency or peer review, which is how well is the material played on here? How good is it? How good does it sound? And with peer review, I think we actually can compare this to the material these guys produce um, generally and maybe even of the time initially and how we kind of look at this when it's not weird projects like traveling Wilburys, I look at it differently, but I'm going, I'm going six out of 10 because clearly it's well played. Mm -hmm. Um, But I even think some of the composition and structures are, are funky. They're uneven. They don't always hit. And then some songs are just straight up bad. Yeah. So then if I judge it against the work these folks were doing, even contemporaneously, it doesn't feel great, except for the two highs, which are strong. So it all balances out in the sauce to me as a six out of 10. Okay. 
I gave it a five um, because these guys are provably competent. Yes. (laughs) But how it compares to their peers or just their other material, um, it doesn't kind of stack up to that stuff very well. Um, But for like a throwaway record... For these guys, novelty it's, record. Yeah, yeah, it's like a novelty record that just just feels kind of effortless. It 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 would be tough to do a record that feels this effortless for anyone else. So I I just split the difference and gave it a five. Matt, um, I'll be generous. I'd say in the spirit of fun, I'll give this six out of ten. All right, the next one is drag, drag factor. How much when listening does this record drag on you where you're like, you know, the Sonic the Hedgehog, you're looking at your wrist and tapping your foot. Um, guys, this one drags. Uh, <laughs> I give it a 2 out of 10, which so the lower, the more it drags. It's a 2 yeah. out of 10. Yeah, I gave it a 3. Okay. Yeah. I guess like Margarita's kind of growing on me the more I think about <laughs> it. But uh, yeah, it's a 2 out of 10. Flow. So this is more about how the songs move into each other, how the songs flow <clears throat> into themselves, and how overall it moves through it. As I've said, it just even factoring as a novelty, it doesn't flow particularly well. It's three out of ten. Yeah, I gave it a three too because it's just it's it's a collection of songs. It is not an album. It just feels like they recorded a bunch of songs, threw it on a you know, and threw it on the record, and it honestly. There was, honestly feels like if if we didn't all know the story behind it being this more like hey this is a project they're going to do this record they're going to you know whatever whatever yeah if you told me there were members who didn't know there were plans to actually release some of these songs i would believe you you know what i mean correct like, because other than the highlights it's kind of it is there's a bit of throwaway nature to this matt what do you think i'll say Three out of ten. I'd say the sequencing, particularly on the, the second half of this record, is just offensive. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's just so fucking careless. And like it's like nobody listened to the whole thing before they put it out. Um, aesthetic, which is the way the record looks, the overall feel. Uh I, I, it feels of the time. I think the the font text of Traveling Wilburys being something that was like a standard install a few years later on the first version of like Microsoft word processors isn't a good sign for these fellas. Um, <laughs> I do like this idea of it being a peeled photo, but also it doesn't, it, it almost feels clearly cut and pasted, even if that was actually a photo of them together. Yeah. Uh, five out of 10. Trying right. to be generous. Yeah, that's generous. I feel like the cover art is pretty rough. I think, I do know that one of the things that kind of these guys all related over was their love of Monty Python, um, which I think is cool. And I think that actually shows just in the one of the guys from Monty Python actually wrote, uh, I guess, the liner notes on this, Mm. the whole story of the Wilburys, which, you know, they all had fake names um, and that's a whole thing, which I mean. It's cute. They like gave it this whole aesthetic um, again, but it just it's it's too much fun. But I give them an A for effort, so it's I give it a four. 
Uh, it's gonna be a two out of ten for me. I don't like. I don't like this shit. Thank you. There we go. Although I will. I don't know. I mean, what is that? A coaster? On the, on the right hey, side. Hey, look, let's look. Okay. Like the is it the fake stain? What do we got? Let's see. I would oh. buy a traveling Wilburys. I like to think that there was traveling Wilburys merch. Yeah. Even though I don't think they played any shows. Yeah, I don't think they did. No. They <laughs> might have sold coasters. I would buy one of those for like a well, buck or or, or something. It does, man. It has a real like um coaster at a chain like that's the coaster you get at Chili's you know yeah. what i mean it's like that nice yeah. solid firm cardboard that's you know it's it's disposable but it's gonna last under your third refill you know under your third margarita yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, impact and influence uh maybe i i i again am being generous i think did it impact much no those two songs are good they're fun i don't think they influence the soul these fellas obviously all had a strong influence and maybe just maybe this influenced people not to do super groups four out of ten dude one yeah this is like <laughs> like these are these are like child these are like childhood like sing-along songs for middle-aged adults at this point. <laughs> like like it 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 impacted not a living human and influenced not a living human. Like and and if we're talking like the longer kind of version of music history, it it not a not a living human is looking back on this and being you like You don't think that anyone yeah, learned a lesson from this. No, I mean maybe just not to do it. But like I, that's what but, I'm giving it a four because if this if this is burning your hand on a stove, like oh Jesus Christ, I'm not gonna do that again, dude. But super groups are still a thing. I mean, I why? Know. Like Dave Grohl did a thing called Probot that sucks. It sucks. Like it's just What's nothing it, is. Audio Slave sucked. Audio Slave sucks. sucks. It all sucks. All that sucks. It yeah. all sucks, yeah. dude. <laughs> I mean, going back to like Blind Faith. Oh, <laughs> CSNY sucks. I, mean, <laughs> I was gonna say that too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> That's that's and I'm a huge. That, I say that as a huge Neil Young fan, but yeah, fuck that no, record or those I, records. I agree. I, I, those records, the plurality of it. Um, Our house ugh. is a good song. Our house is a very good song. Very um, good song. Yeah, it's a very good. One. Song. That's about it. But but that's what we're learning is a supergroup can give you a, a track, but yes. largely crap. So I'm I all right. So it didn't influence. All right, Pete, you talked me into it. It's down. to Would you give it a one? I'm giving it a one. I gave it a one. All right, it's a one. Matt. Matt. Um. Yeah, I don't think this had any in- impact or influence on anybody. I think this is, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, at best, it was kind of reminding me of when I was a kid and I would get to the movies like way too early, like before the preview started. Yeah, and they were just they were showing like stills of of like ads for local businesses. There'd be music playing softly, and it would be <laughs> shit that sounded like this. <laughs> Uh, um, all right, so then then we finally have the intangible, which is where you can kind of you get ten points to play with for if this has any sort of personal resonance, if there's anything there, uh, if there's a track that. So for me, for end of the line, for handle with care, I'm mean, gonna five out of ten. Um, I think they had, and also you know what, the way that a couple of these fellas talk about it. As this really like fun thing they did, despite it being 
I don't know if it's pan, but it's one of those things like there's that emoji that's like the like scrunched face eye that's got the squiggly mouth denoting like <laughs> that's how I think everyone feels about traveling Wilburys because it's like this is all not your good work. Oh no, how do we even talk about this? And you know, R.I.P. Roy Orbison, five out of ten. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean. I actually gave it a five out of 10 too, just because I, I know that Bob Dylan get, did great things after this. Tom Petty did great things after this. George Harrison, apparently, I mean, he wrote, I think an album after this that a lot of people like that I've never heard. Mm. So I do feel like it, it kind of put some energy into this group of people and you could hear that they were having a great time, although the record is not good. So I split the difference again and gave it a five. Matt, what'd you think? Yeah, I think five out of 10 is fair. Um, you know, one thing that really stuck out to me in that little half hour documentary about the Wilburys is how happy George Harrison seemed. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't think I've ever seen him that happy. Like, he was always kind of like, you know, the quiet beetle or this, like, mm-hmm. deep, almost irritable guy. Yeah. Like, especially in that Get Back documentary that came out a couple months ago. He's, like, kind of cranky. Yeah. This Wilburys thing, of course, it's 20 years later, but he's, like, so excited about this project that sucks shit it's it's just <laughs> yeah. it's bizarre it's really weird yeah. but i think you know he's excited to see his friends and to have everybody in the same room so i can relate to that but at the same time man it's like this music is not good no you yo, but you clued in on something really good as you get older as an adult seeing other people take joy in something even if it's total horseshit even if it's awful there is something like well Man, it's like looking through the window at a very ugly family eating McDonald's, but they are so happy. Yo, I'm happy for them. They're doing terrible things to their body, terrible things to their health, but they seem happy. That's the Traveling Wilburys. That's Otis. That's Lucky. That's Lefty. That's whatever the hell the other fucking doofus's names are. Um, (laughs) They're having secret snacks together. Yeah. (laughs) But but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's just it. Like... I think that um, it's <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 just it's too much fun, man. I mean, they're yeah. having, they're having too much fun together. No, but yeah. you know, the part about Harrison actually having fun and being joyful in that. Have you ever seen? There's just these clips of Harrison being asked about the Beatles, or even just John Lennon in the '80s. And he's they all got really cranky. Yo, he had yeah. he's having none of it. Like yeah. McCartney held it together the most in terms of the crank levels, but his got yeah. pretty high too. But Harrison was just so disinterested. And and you see with this, it gives him a brief window where it's like, no, no, we're we're doing this thing. We're having fun right now. And you think about doing such a momentous thing and, and if that was the only thing that rang in your head from everybody. And instead you now get to hang out with like peer group doing something that's admittedly wacky and stupid, but, but you're having a nice time. That's gotta be great. So shout out Uh, overall. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was was just going to say, I mean, you like when you really think about the dynamics and we didn't really spell this out, but you know, George Harrison, Bob Dylan, 
kind of more or less starting within the same range, right? Mm-hmm. Jeff Lynn, I think maybe is a few years later, although not that far. Um, Roy Orbison is many years earlier. So they mm. all kind of looked up collectively to Roy Orbison. And then Tom Petty is kind of the young guy in the group, right? So he, I think more than anybody probably felt um, it was just like a pleasure for him to be there. Um, and everyone else, like they, they all respect and kind of love each other's music. So it's, it is one of those situations where you really think about it and it's like, well, yeah, of course they're all psyched to be in the same room together. Like there's not, there's not a human that would have been given that opportunity and would have turned it down. Um, but that ultimately doesn't make for a great record regardless of the vibe going on in the room. Right. So. So I came to a total score of 45 out of 100, which feels about right. 4.5 out of 10. Yeah. Cool. Pete? I came to a 38. Feel right for you? It feels actually, honestly, higher than I feel about the record. So, wow. But I'm okay with it. Um, and, and where did Matt come in? Matt came out at a 39. So we're like neck and neck. Matt, how do you feel? I feel like that's a pretty accurate representation. 3.9 out of 10? I think so. Yeah. And. Yeah, no, I think that's totally fair. Yeah, I feel I feel good about it. I feel good about my answers here, Pete. Um, well, Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Pete, what do you got? I want to ask one last question, if you guys don't mind. Oh, of course. Is, is there a right way to do a super group? Should it even be a thing that happens? No. <laughs> no. So, yeah. no, kind of to that point I said before. And I don't mean this. I, I believe that you can have communal shared projects with people I, I think it's one of the greatest things you can do in life is is work on something and be uh as receptive to ideas as you are willing to give your ideas right and have this kind of commingling and, and really try to be super open but also honest and, and give and take i think it's awesome and it does happen but with something like this where you're pulling different parts together you almost need a hierarchy Mm. And then that creates these dynamics where it's like, well, this isn't my project. I'm not going to do my best work. I'm I'm second fiddle. I'm third fiddle. I'm just doing this. I'm just going to do my part. So no, um, the best super groups are just the ones where some some evil genius gets behind it and says, hey, you know what that that guy's low key the best drummer in that band. Hey, that guy's low key the best guitar player in his band. Hey, that and and brings them all together, and they collectively behind this evil genius put together something magical. Even though they don't realize, like, hey, this dude kind of sorted us, true, one way or another. So low key supergroups only. Yeah, hmm. yeah, and uh, I agree with that. And I I think that what ultimately screws up supergroups <clears throat> is is fame egos yes it's just like there's plenty of i agree with you there's plenty of there's been plenty of uh, good bands that were put together by you know managers or agents or what have you and uh those people weren't famous so they were able to collaborate yeah work work the talent not the um name recognition maybe you can make it happen true so everybody listen to the traveling wilburys record <laughs> you can find it on spotify.com um no uh Matt, thanks for joining us. Um, Matt writes great songs, um, and his project is called Silver Movie. 
You can find them on Spotify um, by looking up Silver Movie and Silver Movie 3000 on Instagram. So Matt, thanks for coming on and uh, hope you had a good time. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. That was great. Of course. Appreciate you. Everybody, have a good night. Talk to you next week. Goodbye. I saw the